Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I am your host, Scott Brady, and in today's conversation, I talk with Alicia from Liberating Leash. She's an inspiring character that's traveled throughout the United States in her Toyota 4Runner. We spend some time together at the Overland Expo Mountain West, discussing not only how she travels solo, how she affords to travel while she works full-time, some of the ways that she addresses travel while she's working full-time. We also add on some additional conversation regarding her scholarship that she received from the Overland Expo to attend this event. So please enjoy my wide-ranging conversation with Alicia. This content is brought to you by Overland Journal, our premium quality print publication. The magazine was founded in 2006 with the goal of providing independent equipment and vehicle reviews, along with the most stunning adventures and photography. We care deeply about the countries and cultures we visit and share our experiences freely with our readers. We also have zero advertorial policy and do not accept any advertiser compensation for our reviews. By subscribing to Overland Journal, you're helping to support our employee-owned and veteran-owned publication. Your support also provides resources and funding for content like you are watching or listening to right now. You can subscribe directly on our website at overlandjournal.com. All right. Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I am your host, Scott Brady, and I am here with Alicia from Liberating Leash. And we just had a great time at the gathering event in Van Corum, Colorado, didn't we? Yes, we did. To me, it was, and it's not to take away anything from any other Overland event, but it was the first Overland event that I left with a lower heart rate than I started. <laughs> so I like I, rel- I had a chance to relax. Yeah. And there's something that I've always wanted to do, which was a tea ceremony. And Sonia and Nakoda pulled in a great friend of, of theirs to conduct the tea ceremony. Mm-hmm. It was just the most amazing experience. Yeah. An hour and a half of just drinking tea and kind of letting see what else happens happen. Yeah. Did you get a chance I to do that? I did get a chance to do what, it. What it did was you good. think of that experience? I thought it was really good. It was very calming, very peaceful. Um, for me, I feel like sometimes, you know, especially in today's world, like it's like you're always on. So just that time to just breathe and, yeah. you know, to have the tea. Really uh, I, loved, I loved the kind of analog nature of mm-hmm. all of it where there was these very simple looking teapots. They weren't ornate or anything like that. They yeah. were simple and they were just set on these, it looked like a, like a porcelain or a clay little chimenea yeah. kind of a thing mm-hmm. with a little bit of flame in it. And it kept the tea just Warm. at the perfect temperature. Yeah, I think we made it through five, including the water. So I was, uh, I needed a bathroom quickly. Uh, my group did three in the water and um, I stayed a little bit after and then I was like, okay, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> it's time to go. The other thing that was really amazing when I did the tea ceremony, it was in the morning mm-hmm. and it was after we had had that rain the night before. Oh, yeah. And it the rain had just calmed down and I was walking from my camper to where they were doing the ceremony and this rainbow 
was on the horizon like nothing that yeah. I've ever seen. It was like it was like a rainbow explosion. There was like no more rainbow. It was like it hit the pot of gold and it all blew up and wow. all the rainbow was yeah, right there. Cool. It was stunning. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember I walked up. So Toya was in there getting ready for the tea ceremony. And I said, you got to come look at this. Mm-hmm. And she hadn't seen it yet. Yeah. We just stood there for a couple minutes yeah. and just watched this amazing. Was that before the tea ceremony? It after? Was just before it. Yeah. What other things uh, did you find about that event were unique from the other Overland events you've been going? Smaller in nature, which then allowed for more community and getting to know people better. There was a large focus on diversity. So seeing other people that look like myself and just, I just was very happy. Like that's all I, like when I think back, I'm just like, oh, this is great. Like I'm still sort of high off of that as well. It was totally joyful. Yeah. And that, and that I think is something that's so important to have when we do gather together is to make sure that people can leave with that sense Mm -hmm. of feeling inspired to travel and feeling inspired to be with other travelers. And this is another thing that I noticed. There was a few questions about my truck and camper that Uh came up over the weekend, but not most of them. Most of them were about where are you going to travel next? Where did you just come from? Mm -hmm. What's your favorite thing about travel? It was all about travel and about being with other travelers. And I found that was also unique. Whereas a lot of other events, it can be, you know, so what gear ratio do you have in your yes. in your fan motor? You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally agree. I felt the same way. Like it was, it was really just focused on like getting people out there, regardless of your experience level. So there were people that you know had been doing it for a while. People that were like, okay, I'm just gonna glamp in this tent or something. So just the range. And it was just really about getting out there and getting to know each other and just learn from each other. And what do you think was one of the learnings that you had? What was one of your aha moments that you had from the event? For me, I I think that it was how much I actually need community. Being a solo traveler, I was really looking forward to this because it's just like me. And then I run along, you know, and meet people along the road. But this was like, the culmination because I'm actually towards the end of my trip. So I'm like, yeah, this is, I just was going in looking for it and just knowing that I, you know, need desire and enjoy like that community. We would just recommend anyone that's listening to take a look at staplesintense.com and you'll find information about their gathering events. They typically hold one back east and they typically hold one out west. Uh, This one was just last weekend. So it was really easy to go from Western Colorado to Central Colorado, where we are now in Denver. So please take a look at that event and support in the ways that you can by showing up, by asking ways that you can help them because what they're doing is really important and special. And even sharing about it because, you know, you never know who's watching your own channel or just in conversations. Yeah, it was really amazing. Speaking of being a solo traveler, like you just mentioned, what inspired you to start to travel on your own around the country? Well, I'll go a little bit further Please back. Please do. I will say just in childhood, like my parents, we always traveled. Nothing major big as a young person. Every summer, we, we have family, friends in Ocean City, Maryland. So that was like every summer, that's what we did. Um, or we would just go somewhere. And then from there, as we got older, starting to travel internationally, they had a timeshare in Aruba. We've been to St. Martin. That like they instilled that, I guess, in myself and just 
having a broader view of life in the world and experiences. So I think with that, and then also just my nature, I'm a, you know, a little adventurous, I'm the wild child. So for me, wanting to get out was just sort of, I guess, natural in that. For me, I before getting out on the road, I actually was doing a lot of international travel. Um, and I did that mostly solo. And really what inspired me to do it is because like I wanted to, but that no one, I didn't want to wait for somebody else to be like, okay, I'll come or like to make sure that our time is met. Um, so it was just more about this is what I want to do. I'm going to do it. And that's what I did. This particular mode of travel, I feel like everybody sort of is like, oh, when COVID happened. So that's sort of how I got introduced to overlanding. Before that, I was interested in, I didn't know anything about overlanding. So I was like, oh, I'm going to get like a trailer and ride around the country. And, you know, watching YouTube, things like that. I was like, oh, this is a whole world. So the rabbit hole opened and I jumped in. <laughs> when you look back on travel, traveling with your family, uh, what are some things that your parents did that you think set you up to be the traveler that you are today? What are some things that maybe you admired about them as travelers? They made sure that you knew that like, you were not better than anybody else. Um, that you, when you're going somewhere, you're going to their home. You should be the one that's stepping back and learning from them in their space. So just being open, respectful, and you know, explore, talk to the people, learn some things. Well, they taught you right because yeah. that's exactly the way to do it yeah. is to be open and also so mindful of the fact that you're a guest yeah. in their country and they're going to maybe do things completely different than we do. Yeah. And that's why we're there Yes, is to see something completely different and to eat food that's completely different. And to experience maybe even religions and languages that are very different from our own. And that's the joy of it. I was around like 15, 16 when we started going to Aruba. And oh, I'm not going to remember the name of their language, but I think it begins with a P, a Papiamentu or uh, something okay. like that. So that for me, I'm like, okay, when I go to different places, I want to try to at least be able to speak something. So there was like a little store that had like, you know, the basics of their language. So I would say the little hellos, goodbyes, or thank yous, or whatever in in that. So oh, that's wonderful, <laughs> and I always love their expression when you try. Yeah, because they know that you're not a native speaker, exactly. but they light up because they they're used to just someone coming in and saying, "Hey, can I have a hamburger?" Exactly. <laughs> but just to make an attempt, yes, is is so wonderful. Now that you're traveling solo, the vehicle that you've chosen to use is a Forerunner, which yes. just happens to be like one of the best choices. <laughs> Did you already have the vehicle or did you decide to buy it? Uh, I already had the vehicle. It was, I think it was around 2018. This is before I knew about overlanding. I had always wanted a Forerunner when I was younger, just more aesthetically. That's what attracted me. Awesome. Uh, and of course, that roll down window in the back. Yeah, <laughs> it was just my car died. And I was just like, this is my opportunity. Found the one that's blue. That's my favorite color. I went for it. And then I found out that this was a great vehicle <laughs> for this type of travel. So yeah, I have a 2014 SR5 stock. Oh, that's amazing. And how have you found to travel in that vehicle? Have you, what are the things that you like about it? And what are the things that, that you find are limiting, maybe? There isn't really anything limiting other than like, I can't get up and walk around inside of it or whatever. Sure. But sure. I... Do you sleep inside the yes, vehicle? I do that's sleep perfect. Inside. Yep. So like I said earlier, I'm on the end of a five-month trip. 
and been across the country into Baja and up the coast, and I have not had one problem until today. I got a flat tire. <laughs> I woke up this morning to a flat tire, but yeah, it's it's been amazing. It hasn't. There's probably a problems. probably a nail here in the. I know. In the, yeah, in the field. I have no idea. So, yeah. Great choice in vehicle, and they're so capable. And which leads me to your trip. This most recent trip that you've done, five months, and it took you international as well. What inspired you to take such a long trip? Are you working from the road or how are you facilitating that? So yes, I do work full time. I work in healthcare administration, um, so I work remotely. What inspired me to do this um, longer trip is that, so when COVID started happening in 2020, I came out with, I think that's, like I said, also the time that I learned about overlanding. So I had took a road trip or an overlanding trip with my, um, <laughs> with two friends of mine. And um, we sort of just like stuck to campsites, things like that. Sort of did like a Midwest loop. I'm from outside of Philadelphia. So did a loop around the Midwest. And then from there, I'm like, oh, so the next year I was like, maybe I can do one month to two months to see like, so then I would go up and down the coast. Um, So I did those. And then I was like, okay, I really, like I said, I was in that rabbit hole. I was like, I really want to do this. Let me see if I can just take a bigger step. And that's why I chose to do it. And I guess I could do it because I'm here. You did it. (laughs) Yeah, you did it. Going internationally, was that the first time that you had crossed a border yourself internationally? Crossed it in a vehicle, yeah. yes. And how, where did you cross into Mexico? Um, Mexicali number two. I okay, think, yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. And how was that experience? They just waved me by. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> yes. I was it's like, so you know, I'm like, okay, this is, they're <laughs> going to ask me this, this, this. And I guess like they must have some sort of like, you know, vehicle x-ray system or something. But I just pulled up. They're chatting with each other. They look at something and then they're just like, okay. I'm like, well, wait, my pet, you want to see the, you know, whatever. And like, I just from doing my own research was like, well, I know I need to get this FMM paperwork. Where do I do that? So I just like got out the car and walked to this building where it just seemed like nobody was around. And I saw this random woman walking. I was like, where do I go to get this paper? And then there was just this guy in the building just sitting by himself. And I was the only one there getting the paper. (laughs) So then you got your tourist visa. Yes. Because you had planned to be in the country for more than a few days. Yes. Or you were going to go all the way down to Baja Sur. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's, yep. I did the whole peninsula. Tell me about that experience in Baja. Because it's one of my favorite places to travel. And it's so convenient for all of us that live in the United States to get there. Even if you're back east, it's not that far away. You can even ship your vehicle out and then cross the border. Where did you travel in Baja and what were some of the things that you really enjoyed about it? So I'm going to forget the very first stop that I took. It was on the eastern side of the peninsula, just at a regular like little RV on the beach with the Palapa. Perfect. Yeah. So I did the that. ideal yes. little stop. Did that to just get my bearings. I think I was there for two nights and then just moved my way down. The place that I stayed that I just like, I had no particular like plan of like, okay, I'm going to stay at this place for this long of time. So there was a place. I believe- Did you stay in San Felipe the first night? Is that- yes. That's where, yeah. The next stop, I believe, was in Bahia de Los Angeles. And I believe the camp was called like La 
Tortuga and it was just beautiful. Like they also are geared toward it, towards more of like an ecological way of camping. So just like camping on their beach, they did have Palapas, but I was just camping on their beach. I was like, I love this place. Mm-hmm. I, I stayed there for like five days or something like that. And, and did you have Wi-Fi there? At their cafe, yes. So you were able to do the work you needed to exactly, do. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Now, how does it work with your work? Do you have like a set amount of things that need to be done and you can do them in the morning or you can do them late at night or do you have to be on for certain times during the day? There are things that, you know, I just have to do. There's are projects that I have to work on, um, but it's more so like if I get the job done, then it's, you know, fine. Because of the nature of my job, there are people that need sort of assistance in the moment. Um, So I do try, the whole time I tried to stick to like East Coast hours, maybe be like one hour behind in work. So that was also a challenge because I'm not a morning person. I'm with you. That's really early. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, there was definitely opportunity to flex things, but I did try to maintain the hours that I normally had. So from Bahia de Los Angeles, then you continued south. Yes. And what was the next spot that you stopped that you really kind of fell in love with? Malehe. I'm not sure if I'm skipping any spots, but Malehe, I do remember going and I just, the scenery just changes. Like it's like desert and then you're in this like tropical oasis with this river going by. And yes, yeah, it was very beautiful. I didn't actually get to stay there as long as I wanted to, but it was, it was beautiful. And it's a great spot to resupply. They have a laundromat there. We were talking about that earlier for the full-time traveler. It's like Air, water, yes. laundry <laughs> in the Mavlov's exactly. hierarchy of needs. So um, when you left Mulhe, did you go and camp in, in the Conception Bay area as well? So, yes. Um, I just remember making this one turn going down like, you know, the mountain or whatever to see the bay. And I'm like, this is beautiful. Incredible. The color of the water, the white sand. I was just like, and the first thought that I was like, I want to stay here. Like, I want to stay here. And then... I, the area didn't have any cell service, but, or like, you know, um, yeah, cell service or Wi-Fi or anything like that. When I was in uh, Bahia de Los Angeles, there was a couple, um, an Irish couple that we sort of like, we made friends or whatever. And so we were sort of like caravanning a little bit or just we're going to be like following the same path. So when I had gotten to the bottom of the hill and turned, I saw their van like from the hill and I was like, oh, they're here. So I went And they just were like, no, just stay, just stay. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to stay and then go find Wi-Fi in the morning or something like that. So yes, I did get to camp there. It was just, it was amazing. It's, and it just keeps getting more beautiful. Yes. And there's fewer and fewer tourists the further south you Mm -hmm. get. Yeah. And then did you make it to Todos Santos? Yes, I did. I actually went the other, like, so I stayed on the east side. I did like La Paz and then Cabo Pulmo. Oh, you did the East Cape? Yes. Mm -hmm. Super cool. Um, Cabo Pulmo, the like park there, the sea park was great. We had done a like snorkeling trip and the first stop, there's so many like fish and underwater things that were just so beautiful and but the current was like too rough or too strong so they told us we had to move on but so moved on from there and I did make my way around to Toto Santos and I stayed there for probably about a week or so yeah because it's really easy to do work there great restaurants yeah that's it's one of my favorite spots along there but that what's interesting about Cabo Pulmo is I believe that is the northernmost reef structure 
in the world. I think it's the furthest north that you can find coral reefs like that uh, that are still yeah. living and thriving. We got to, um, and I'm not even going to remember the name of the fish, but I they usually show it like when they're doing like Discovery Channel type things, but that big school of fish that like, you know, are going together, we got to like swim with them. And yeah, that was just awesome too. So now that you've done several big trips around the country and even traveling internationally, what have you found that that experience changed about you, about your view of the world, about your perspective on life? What is it, what has it taught you? One, that people are not as scary as the world makes them seem. And also just simplicity of life, not needing all the things that, you know, we think that we need, being more kind to myself and actually like removing my own armor. Well, those are amazing things to learn about ourselves. Also, I would say the big thing is that I can do it. That's, that's the big thing that I learned. Yeah. You not only can do it, you are doing it, which is, (laughs) and you're inspiring so many. And one of the things that I remember hearing, in fact, it was at the gathering, but I remember hearing this comment that you made that when you left on your first trip, I think you borrowed a tent from your dad. So you weren't going to allow anything to stop you Mm -hmm. from going. And like, did that, was that part of that lesson of like, I can do it. So with that tent, the story with the tent is that it's this big, huge tent. I'm still in the beginning, like, you know, beginner stages. Um, I guess I technically still am, I guess. I don't know. Me too. Uh, (laughs) So, um, and I don't, I think I had a platform in the car, but I wasn't, you know, sleeping on it. I was just like, I'm going to use my tent. I determined that this is a dry weather tent because there were a lot of leaks and holes (laughs) in this tent. With that being patient with yourself. So I think that's another thing of learning about learning is that something is inevitably going to go wrong. Being soaked out and rained out of this tent multiple times, I was just like, okay, maybe this is not the gear that I need. But yeah, just being like patient and, you know, figuring out what you need to do to like get out of a situation or, you know, make something better for yourself. It's so neat to see you come to that realization that sleeping in the truck is a great solution. Mm -hmm. Because I totally agree with you. Like, it's the best shelter we have with us. Mm -hmm. Like, the best roof tent in the world is not going to be Toyota, like, insulation, glass, sheet metal, door seals, all that other stuff. I ended up, after realizing that was my driver weather tent, I actually did get a pop-up tent. And I just was like, it's a small little pop-up tent because I'm just like, I'm just going to sleep in it. I don't need, like, a big room or anything like that. So for this, I have used that tent, but for this particular trip, you know, I had it with me, but I did start out by sleeping in my car or or truck. I never actually wanted to go back to the tent. Um, So I think I slept in it like once during this trip. And even actually when I've, you know, come across like family or friends and have stayed with them in their homes, I'm like, oh, this isn't as comfortable as my bed in my truck. Sinway's house. You, you met Sinway at the gathering. And he's like, I got your room already for you. I'm like, nope. I got my, I got my scout camper. I've got, it's exactly the way I want it. So, and I sleep like a baby in it. So it's funny how that, that all works out. But one thing that's nice about having a small tent especially if it's one of those ones that pop up really easy, that's where you can stick the gear that you take out when you go to sleep. You can get your gear out of the weather and kind of zip it up. And I have used like small little pop-up tents for that when I'm sleeping in a vehicle. You've learned some things about yourself and you've learned some things about others that you've encountered along the way. What advice would you give to someone that 
is thinking about starting a journey like yours or has maybe done shorter trips, what, what advice and recommendations would you give others that are thinking about doing that? One, don't let perfection, you know, or the perfect plan or the perfect route or the perfect whatever keep you, like delay you from going. So just, just do it. Um, and it doesn't actually matter what you have or don't have. I mean, you want to make sure that you have, you know, essentials of things that you need and you want to make sure that your vehicle, you know, is reliable. But to literally just go and do it, you don't need the rooftop tent. You don't need, you know, this big system of anything. You can just start small and determine what you need. And that's how I have done my trip. You know, the one to two month trips, they were fine because I'm just like, oh, you know, I just need like, you know, this much clothes or something like that. But coming on this trip, I'm like, oh, like I'm literally going to be living on the road. So I brought everything and I literally use like a quarter of the stuff that I have. Yeah. Just take like the minimum of what you need and then just figure out your style and what you need on the way. You're one of the very few people that I have met that have done that. I think for a lot of travelers, I think that in general, what we see like on social media, it, I think it starts to make people feel like they have to have all these things. Mm-hmm in order to travel in a safe way or in an effective way. But the way that you've done it is really the best because as you've gone along, you have made changes and you've decided, okay, the tent doesn't work. I'm going to stay in my truck. But you actually, by doing that, you actually removed a piece of equipment for the most part that you even needed. Yeah. I ended up sending some things home. (laughs) Sure. And that's very rare for people to do that. And I, and I, I'm such a believer in, even if you, what you drive is a Prius, Mm -hmm. start with that. Yeah. And figure out what do you need in order to go where you want to go. And then you realize like, oh, I actually really do want to go to these places Mm -hmm. that are off the beaten track. And I do need something with some ground clearance. And then maybe you change the car. But you also might find that what you love is just road trips and and roads that a Prius can do. And then you've saved yourself all of that money and energy. Your, your trips and, you know, your setup is for you. So, you know, not looking at like, oh, because this person has this that I need, you know, to be this way or have this thing. Like it's literally your trip, your whatever you want. One of the things that I love to ask on the podcast is your favorite books. Yeah. This is always a <laughs> selfish question. I have no idea. But actually, those are listening, let me know. If you do love the book recommendations, I'm not going to change. But um, I, I love hearing the book recommendations. So yeah. what, what uh, books have you found interesting for you in your life? Yeah. So I think one of the the very first ones that I can recall, like that just lit a fire in me was The Alchemist. Yes, I have, you know, traveled as a child with my family and internationally and, you know, you know, domestically on my own. But there have been a period of time where, you know, I just like felt trapped, I guess, and just like afraid to do these things, Um, even though I had the experience with my family, but being able to do it by myself was scary. So that was also an inspiration for me. The other book that I really enjoy was A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. That that was really good for just allowing myself to become more into myself and less all over the place, I guess, or whatever, to be more centered, to be more aware of myself and, you know, uh, triggers and like, you know, the way I react to certain things. Um, So yeah, I really enjoyed that book. He has these very simple concepts. Yeah. That once you listen, and his, did you listen to the book or did you read it? I read it. I read it a couple times, but I do actually, he does. Um, he has such an interesting voice. Yeah. Yes. He, I do listen to some of his like either podcasts or little like 
you know, recordings that have sure. been done. Yeah. I, cause I list, he has another book called the power of now. Yeah. And I listened to that and it was actually when I was crossing the Pacific in the mm-hmm. sailboat, it's quiet up on at the helm because mm-hmm. everybody else is sleeping or whatever. Yeah. And just listening to that guy's voice and this realization that so rarely are we present? Like right now, you and I are engaged in being together mm-hmm. and listening to your stories. But how often do we get to do that? Yeah. Most of the time, we're either ruminating over something <laughs> dumb we did yesterday, yeah. or we're thinking like, oh, I'll be happy when this happens or when I get to this place or yes. when I get to go do this thing. Yet we're in this amazing place with amazing people at an amazing event and being present is very difficult. Mm-hmm. It seems to do. It is for me. Yeah. I don't know if it is for others, but just to be really present is hard. So yeah, he's got he's got a couple great books. Yeah. Those are good recommendations. Thank you for that. Is there anything that you would like to challenge the the audience on or or things that you would like to share with the audience um, that you think would be helpful? Things will go wrong all the time. <laughs> for me, I think when I first started out within like the first 2 months and I, at this point, I can't necessarily rem- remember what exactly they were. Some of the things were like electrical based on like the setup that I have. Every It seemed like every day or maybe like every other day, something was happening. And I'm just like, man, you know, and but because of having read Ecker and everything like that, I'm like trying to keep myself calm and present in the moment. Even when those so-called like bad things would happen, then at the end of the night, I saw a beautiful sunset mm-hmm. or I had a beautiful experience or exchange with a person or just something amazing would happen to be like, what happened earlier today? It doesn't matter. Like, so it'll always, the good will come over as the bad. Yeah. And, it, and travel teaches us those things yeah. over and over again, for sure. Alicia, I want to thank you so much for thank being you. on the podcast. I want to thank you for being such an inspiration and for not being afraid to go <laughs> see this beautiful country yes. and to have those experiences, to share them on your Instagram, which let people know what your Instagram is. Um, it is liberating leash. That's L E A S H. My friends call me leash. So that's really clever. I love <laughs> it. And so people can follow you on Instagram and they can, they can reach out and they can also see your adventures around the country and around the globe, the globe, no doubt. I just want to thank you also for being at the gathering and for talking about that event, because it's really important uh, that we make that, uh, make people aware of how, how amazing that experience is. So, well, thank you. I was surprised, um, but also just very humbled. Um, you know, I listened to the podcast and I'm like, okay, which, what new uh, podcast came out that I can listen to? Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm very thankful and humbled to be interviewed by you. Oh, it's wonderful. Thank you again so much. Well, we want to open things for questions to our live audience here, if anybody would like to ask questions. So, so the question was, uh, where are you going to travel next? Yes. So um, I'm at the end of a five-month long trip, so I am heading home. But after that, I will end up going to another gathering event that is happening um, in October. I believe it's the 14th to the 16th. So if you go to stapleintense.com, you can um, look up more information about that and you know if you're interested. But as far as like big trips or something, I haven't, in being present, I have not planned anything in the future. I do, I did um, get presented with the opportunity to go, go to Japan with my nephews next year. I'm looking forward to possibly doing that. And then, but I think I probably will do something small in the winter. Um, I don't really like it being dark at 4 p.m. 
So I will probably, you know, in this trip, I really sort of booked it to Baja. So I didn't get to spend time like in the Gulf area. So I think I'll probably go there in the winter. So as a solo black female traveler, Mm -hmm. what has been barriers or other issues that you've encountered and overcome? Did I get that right? Okay, close. (laughs) So I will say that I personally have not had any upsetting or discouraging experiences. However, knowing um, that that could be the case and just knowing like, you know, the climate and just being a black woman, I am also very aware. So I can tell when I go into a certain space that I'm like, okay, somebody's going to be staring at me. Like, you know, they're not used to seeing, you know, black or brown person. And sometimes I have had people like, Look, but I don't necessarily know. Like for me, it's not, I can't understand, don't know if that person's looking at me like, oh, there's this black person here. Or if they're just like, oh, like they just never, you know, it was a surprise or whatever. So I haven't had anything in regards to like concern for my safety or feeling uncomfortable in any way. But I do acknowledge that that is, can be the case for other people. So I, I do believe that I'm lucky. And I also, Um, I know that I'm also a fair-skinned Black person, so I know that colorism also is a thing that plays um, uh, in that. So I don't know if that's a reason why I haven't had any bad experiences, but yeah. I mean, even places where I thought that I was going to have like a weird experience or that people were just going to be like, eh, smiles, welcome, telling me stories about, you know, wherever nearby. So yeah. yeah. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And thanks for the question, Sonia. What was your favorite place that you visited in country? So I um, attended Expo PNW, and that was my first time in Bend. So I was just like, this is a great place. And that was the Pacific Northwest. I just was like, this is amazing. (laughs) You know, mountains, water, good weather. It just so from Bend all the way up to Washington northern Wyoming, like Yellowstone area that I just, I was just like, oh yeah, I need to come back here a lot. So yeah. Yeah. Bend is amazing. It's so beautiful. The Deschutes River going through, it's like, is this a post, it's like living postcard. Yeah. I feel like the area has so many like rivers and stuff. Mm -hmm. It was just like driving this like river, this river, this river. I'm like, oh my, and I chase water. So I, you know, like to camp on, you know, seeing water or by a lake or by a river. So yeah, that's a great, great one. No doubt. I thought, and it, I thought the event was really well produced mm-hmm. and I really yes. liked the Pacific. It was their first time in Bend uh, for the Overland Expos. And I think they did such a fantastic job. It was a great venue too. Mm-hmm. So I was really impressed with it. Yeah. Lots of shade and yeah. pretty trees and stuff like that. So, all right. Thank you, Alicia, for for coming back with us for a little follow-up question, because after we finished our conversation at the Overland Expo Mountain West, that was where it was, wasn't it? Mountain West? Yes. Um, that we we realized that we wanted to talk a little bit more about the scholarship that you receive from the Overland Expo. Um, I think it's one of the things that's that's very notable about the organization is that they do provide these opportunities for people new to overlanding that would like to be able to experience an overland expo uh, to do so under a scholarship program. So how did you find out about the scholarship? Um, so I had been following Overland Expo on Instagram and one Wednesday evening, Eva Rupert was doing a live. Um, I think she might do that a little bit before each expo. So 
she was doing a live and then just in that conversation she had mentioned about the foundation and how they were offering scholarships and so i was like well all right that's a perfect opportunity and i signed up i think actually like right after that live was over so and then it was was there a pool of people that had submitted or do they offer just a single scholarship or do they offer multiple scholarships? Um, so I believe it was a pool um, and I interviewed with Allison DeLapp um, and Azure um, and I believe there might have been one other person. Um, so I think that there was like a interview process through that um, and then they reached out with, you know, who received the scholarship. Um, I do know that... There were also two other people, I don't, maybe later in the year or different um, throughout the year as well, that also received scholarship. And what does the scholarship include? Um, So it includes an opportunity to um, attend an expo um, and have the Overland experience so that you can take the courses, but then also you have the opportunity to take the actual driving courses where you learn how to use your um, your four by four capabilities um, with your vehicle. And you have a forerunner, isn't that yes. right? Yes. So what did you what did you think of the of the classes? Oh, I I loved them. It was very interesting because I actually I think we touched on this previously, but I had gotten the forerunner originally just because that was something I had wanted from childhood. Um, and so I had awesome. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I hadn't used my four by four. I don't think I needed it. Our winners were mild. So, so I actually don't even think I really knew anything about using it until that time. And, you know, learning about four low and all of that. And the experience was great because then like right after um, one of the places that I decided to um, camp overnight, I needed to use my four low. So I was like, yeah, I learned something. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And it was, it was so great to finally meet you at the, I think we met maybe even at a previous Overland Expo. Yeah, at the gathering. Was, that's right. At the gathering. That's mm-hmm. right. So it was, it was so great to see you at the gathering and at the Overland Expo to have the chance to have the podcast together. And then Mm -hmm. now to kind of regroup around this conversation, any updates that you've got since, since our talk at Overland Expo that you want to share? Slow going, nothing major. I am looking to maybe get another vehicle, a van, but that's still in the works. I'm looking see those different opportunities and what that will come what will come from that still wanting to get out i do know just in general for regular um for travel in general i'm looking to go actually to india and then possibly be japan with family and friends but and then just that sounds amazing yeah whenever the opportunity comes again to just hit the road travel however we can get it there we go. Yes, I agree. Exactly. Well, Alicia, thank you again so much for being on the podcast. And I'm so glad yes. we took the time to to talk about the scholarship program through Overland Expo. It's something yes. that I'm so proud of the fact that they do it. And mm-hmm. it's such an important resource. And for those that are watching um, that would like to reach out to the Overland Expo, you can go to overlandexpo.com to find out more information about their scholarship programs. Yeah. And then you are on Instagram as Liberating Leash. Isn't that right? Correct. Yes. 
All right. So people can follow you on on the gram and see your travels and, <laughs> yes. and, and find out whatever vehicle comes next. So, yep. Yeah. I won't let go of the forerunner, though. I don't blame you. Yeah. Got to hold on to it. It's probably gone up in value since you yeah, bought it. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Well, Alicia, thank you so much. Thank you. For being on the podcast again. We really appreciate you. Yes. I appreciate you as well. Thank you. All right. And thank you all for watching. And we'll talk to you next time.